God of the ages. In scripture, we hear stories of people like us, ordinary people, people who longed to know you, people who longed to follow you, people who made mistakes, people who tried to grow, old, young, native, immigrant, new to the faith, lifelong believer. In scripture, we hear stories of people like us. So just as you walked with them, help us to hear and remember all of the ways that you walk with us. We are listening. We are grateful. We are yours. Amen. The first reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The translation I'll be reading is from the Common English Bible, the Lord's Mountain. This is what Isaiah, Amos's son, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted above the hills. Peoples will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, Come, let us go up to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that we may so that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in God's paths. Instruction will come from Zion, the Lord's word from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes of mighty nations. Then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer learn how to make war. Come, house of Jacob, let us walk in the, by the Lord's light. This is the promise of God to our ancestors and to us. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Our gospel reading for this first Sunday in Advent is Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses. Listen to the word of the Lord. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Aram. Aram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. 
Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asaph. Asaph was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Joram. Joram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Amos. Amos was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers. This was at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jehoiakim is the father of <laughs> Shealtiel. There it is. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiud. Abiud was the father of Iliakim. Iliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Elihud. Elihud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Mathan. Mathan was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So, there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to Babylon to the Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. So if I were to ask you to tell me the story of your life, I I wonder how you would begin. Would you start with when and where you were born? Would you start with your parents? How many of you would start with your grandparents or your great-grandparents? Many of us in this country have precious little knowledge of our family histories beyond two generations. Who were my ancestors before immigrating here from Finland and Germany in the earliest 20th century? Why did they come here? What was life like before they came? I I have these like scraps, right, of information. It's little tiny tidbits, and that's all. Many of us have ancestors who came here in search of a better life, Some of us have ancestors who were brought here in chains, whose histories were intentionally erased. And the same was attempted with the native populations who were here long before us. How we tell the story of our lives is never simple. It's rarely controversial. Uncontroversial. Do we tell a story of our virtues and our triumphs, or do we tell a story of our faults and our traumas? Can we do both? When Matthew begins the story of Jesus, he does so with a genealogy, which I know seems dull to us. But it was a common practice in ancient literature. When you wanted to demonstrate someone's bona fides, right, and and show the legitimacy of their greatness in the ancient world, you'd start with your family tree. So that's what Matthew does. A record of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Matthew wants us to believe that Jesus is a legitimate heir of King David and a son of Father Abraham, who you may have heard had many sons. And David, flawed though he was, 
was still considered Israel's greatest king, the, the one by whom all other kings are measured. And by the end of the Old Testament, the line of Davidic kings had long since failed. And by the time of Christ, Israel's under Roman control. And Rome had no interest in a Davidic king, right? Rome wanted a stooge king, like Herod, who ruled not with peace and righteousness, but with violence and tyranny. But the promise of a Davidic kingship is the promise of peace, is the promise that we heard Isaiah prophesying about, of a, of a time when swords would be beaten into plowshares, where people will no longer learn to make war. And after another week of mass shootings, I am ready for that kingdom to come. Now, amidst the long list of names in Matthew's genealogy, a few of them stand out as extraordinary. Normally, you didn't include women's names at all in genealogies in the ancient world. And then the women that are included here, their presence is unlikely, unexpected. Uh, If a genealogy is meant to demonstrate one's legitimacy and greatness, the four women that you would expect to be listed then would be Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah, the four matriarchs of Israel's history, yet they are absent. Instead, Matthew includes Tamar and Rahab, Ruth and the wife of Uriah. There must be something about these women that Matthew wants to uplift. Now, our painting, if you see the painting, you've got Mary on the upper left there, and in the middle is the rose, and just below her is Tamar, and then below her on the bottom is uh, Rahab, and then we have Ruth, and then we have the wife of Uriah. So there must be something uh, really important about these four women. Otherwise, why would Matthew go out of his way to include them? So Matthew says, well, you know, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Well, Judah, you might recall that name. Judah is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the one from whom King David would descend. And in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Lion of Judah. So Judah is important. And as Matthew says, he's the father of Perez and Zerah, but Tamar was not Judah's wife. She was his daughter-in-law. Judah was married to, uh, Tamar was married to one of Judah's sons, and that son died. And then Tamar married another one of Judah's sons, and that son died. And then Judah promised Tamar, when my third son comes of age, he'll marry you. But Judah never fulfills that promise. And so instead, Tamar deceives Judah into impregnating her. And when Judah finds out what happened, he actually says, you know, she's more righteous than I am. It's very dramatic and and soap opera-y. You can read all about it in Genesis 38. But it makes you wonder, why would Matthew go out of his way to include this story? Isn't the story of Tamar one that you'd like to be hidden, not highlighted? Strange. What about the other three women? Well, Rahab, you may recall, was a Canaanite prostitute that gave shelter to Joshua and the other spies in Joshua chapter 2. Again, not someone that we would expect to be included in a royal genealogy. Ruth, as Janice uh, preached on a few weeks ago, was a Moabite who saves her mother-in-law by boldly proposing marriage to Boaz, and she ends up being King David's great-grandmother. And the fourth woman 
She isn't named, but you might know who she is. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Do any of you remember Solomon's mother's name? Bathsheba. Bathsheba had been married to Uriah the Hittite, who was one of King David's mightiest warriors. And while Uriah is out fighting on behalf of his king, David impregnates Bathsheba and ends up having Uriah killed to try and cover up his tracks. And when David's lies are exposed, the child that he conceived with Bathsheba dies. And then David takes her in as one of his many wives, and eventually she gives birth to Solomon. Another story of trauma. Another story of shame that Matthew uplifts. Now, none of these women's stories are what we would think to include if the goal is to demonstrate Jesus' legitimacy and greatness, and yet Matthew goes out of his way to make room for them. Why? Well, two of the four women we know were Gentiles, Ruth and Rahab. Uriah was also a Gentile, right? He's Uriah the Hittite, so perhaps Bathsheba was as well. And there is some pre-Christian literature where Tamar is also named as a Gentile. And so Matthew, which is the most Jewish of the four Gospels, and yet here we are in chapter 1, and he is letting us know that whatever God is doing in Jesus, it isn't just for the Jews. There's room here for Gentiles as well, which means there's room for all of us. And in our world of racial and ethnic division, that is profoundly good news. With rising ethno-nationalism, anti-Semitism, and systemic racism, it is good news to know that God doesn't belong to any one race or country, not even to one religion. And so the story of Jesus is a story of good news for all, for Jews, for Gentiles, for people who think that they belong, and for those who we could never imagine belong. There's room for every story here. But it's not just race and ethnicity that's on Matthew's mind. By including Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba, Matthew is letting us know that the family of God is a no-shame zone. Last week, we were blessed to hear from a graduate of Ketchcourt, which is the city of Columbus's special docket for women who are arrested for solicitation, who instead of doing jail time are given an opportunity to go through this program and instead build a life of recovery and freedom. And and there's a sign up at the catch court downtown that says, this is a no-shame zone. Where women who otherwise might think of themselves as unworthy of love and belonging are instead embraced by a community of rehabilitation. And so Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba, all of them have stories that we might consider shameful. Yet Matthew proudly includes them in Jesus' family tree. Why would he do that except to let us know that there is room for your shame story here as well? I've got one. I've got more than one. I'm guessing you do too. We all do. But nothing that you've done and nothing that's ever been done to you can ever make you unworthy of God's love. Those parts of your life that you think other people would reject you if they knew about, God does not. 
One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is in Hebrews 2, which says, The one who makes people holy and the people being made holy all come from one source. And that is why Jesus isn't ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. See, you may think of yourself as anything but holy. (laughs) That's okay. You're not the one who makes you holy. God does that. God's the one who makes you holy. And for that reason, Jesus isn't ashamed to call you his sibling. There's room for your story, too. And in case you think I'm making this up, did you notice that last verse that we read? Matthew concludes this long family tree saying there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 generations from the exile to Babylon to the Christ. There's a nice symmetry there, right? Three sets of 14. But if you actually count all the names, um, the third set has only 13 names, even though Matthew says there's 14. You think he just can't add? No. He leaves a space so you can put your name here as well. That's the whole point. That there's room for every story here, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you were born, what your skin color is, or who you love. In the no-shame zone of Jesus' family tree, you belong here, and the very things that you think would exclude you, are instead shining examples of your belonging. In our greatest failures, our deepest shame, we are worthy of love and belonging, and you have your place in this family tree. And so when you tell the story of your life, you can include all of it. The virtues and the triumphs, the trauma and the shame, all of it belongs, because all of you belongs. Jesus isn't ashamed to call you his sibling. There's room for you in this story. Let's pray.